Now more with Frank Gaffney. We're back, and I'm very pleased to say we're joined by Dr. Victoria Coates. She is a woman of many parts, an art historian, among other things, but also a former national security advisor to Senator Ted Cruz and to President Donald Trump, a deputy national security advisor at the NSC during the Trump years. She is these days, I'm very proud to say, uh, the senior expert at the Center for Security Policy on Middle East and North African Affairs. She directs our program there. And she is also uh, leading the effort to help the rest of us understand energy as well as nuclear policy matters, uh, both in the Middle East and in Europe. And we're anxious to catch up with her about both. Victoria Coates, welcome back to Secure Freedom Radio. Always good to have you. Thank you, Frank. Good to be with you. Well, let's start with the Middle East and Iran. Uh, Victoria, there is much afoot there. Uh, it seems the clock is inexorably winding down. If what we were told about, oh, I don't know, six or seven weeks ago was that it would be possible for the Iranians to have sufficient nuclear uh, fuel at a enriched enough state to have nuclear weapons capabilities in 10 weeks' time. Talk about the state of play as you see it, the diplomacy, the efforts that the Iranians are making to fulfill their long-term nuclear weapons ambitions and the implications of all of it. Well, it's, it's a very disturbing time. I mean, obviously, the Iranians started ratcheting up their uh, their production of enriched uranium late last, or, um, earlier this year, rather, and have been you know, defying all of the pleas of their purported interlocutors like you know, the French, the Chinese, the Russians. Um, and had just been sort of marching towards what most of us have seen as their logical conclusion for the last few years, which is is weaponizing this material and achieving a nuclear bomb. And, you know, we're seeing this kind of agitation all across the globe right now. You might have noticed it's happening in North Korea as well. Uh, And it's a sign that these rogue regimes simply do not respect or in any way fear the United States anymore. And it's another reason why what's just happened in Afghanistan is so dangerous, because uh, it signals further weakness. And I think, you know, the Iranians were still trying to come up with their, their negotiation team to send to Vienna in coming weeks. But they, they signaled this morning that their demand to get back in any kind of version of the JCPOA will be the full relaxation of sanctions. And so, you know, the president and his team will face a very stark uh, decision then whether or not they're going to cave to that demand or you know, take a harder line. And I have seen no evidence of, of taking a harder line from that crowd. Yeah. When you look at what the Iranians are doing to further preclude any kind of uh, inspection or, or monitoring even by the International Atomic Energy Agency, this seems like even more of a mugs game than it has been in the past. Am I missing something here, Victoria? No, I mean, they, it, it, you can't have a good faith negotiation with a partner who doesn't have a good faith word to give. I mean, they, they, they lie. That's what they do. Uh, and that, I mean, this entire regime has been based on lies for more than 40 years. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pointless exercise because they will say whatever they think they need to say to get their intended results which in this case is going to be the relaxation of sanctions. You know, if the, if the Biden team wanted to, this would could be an incredible moment to put pressure on them. They, they're under enormous internal pressure in 
read about very much, but they, you know, have spectacularly bungled the, the response to COVID. And, you know, they are, they're already strong internal economic pressures have grown much worse from that. And so if the administration wanted to play hardball and really pressure them, this would be quite the moment to do that. Of course, they don't seem to be interested in that. So far from it. Um, in fact, I had an interesting conversation with a fellow that I regard as a thoughtful observer of all of this. And his analysis was that the Biden-Harris team seems to be so set on elevating its ties to the Iranians uh, and degrading its relationship with the Saudis that it may actually be intensifying the Saudi vulnerabilities, uh, notably by pulling out missile defenses, and heightening the Iranians' expectation that they can get away with even more direct action against Iran than through their Houthi proxies in Yemen. Do you sense that that's what is shaping up here? And, and more to the point, Victoria Coates, are you thinking that the Saudis may feel that way and that that may be one of the reasons why they seem to be more and more assiduously cultivating their relationship with the Chinese, including future oil sales and uh, perhaps denominated in renminbi rather than uh, dollars? Well, I, I don't think we're going we're to quite be there yet, but I think you raise a critical point. I mean, literally one year ago today, I arrived in Saudi Arabia for a couple of months to be then Secretary of Energy Dan Boyer's special representative to the region, and it was an extremely hopeful moment for U.S.-Saudi relations. Uh, the response to the Advocate attack from Iran in September of 2019, so it was, that was two years ago. This was one year ago. The Saudi response had been very robust. We had been very supportive. And, you know, as, as I told the Saudis, you know, this could be the dawn of a whole new chapter in our relationship because we no longer need to be a supplicant to you for energy, but we can be a partner. Um, and I had a long discussion with... And that was because, of course, of the efforts that Donald Trump had made to enhance our energy independence. Yeah, and that that, 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 you know, while we might be friendly competitors, it also opens up a whole range of possibilities in terms of coordination. And I came away from that trip very hopeful. And in eight months, this crowd has completely undermined that relationship. And, uh, you know, the, the wholesale removal of the Patriots the removal of the Houthis from the terrorist watch list. Oh, they're suddenly friendly, like the Taliban. You know, it's just extraordinary to me. And, you know, it, it, and it's not just the Saudis. I mean, I, I understand people have issues with the Saudis over 9-11, over Khashoggi. You know, I see a 70-year alliance with enormous value and a, and a partner with a great deal to offer. But I understand there are differing views on that. But, but look at what they've done over the last three days with the French. You know, as much as I am in favor of the Australia-UK pact, I think it's a great idea. Couldn't that have been better managed so that for the first time since the 18th century, the French recalled their ambassador? I mean, it's it's terrible. So, you know, these relationships we've relied so heavily on are really being dramatically undermined. And I think I think the Saudis are case in point. Yeah. The irony being, of course, that this is an administration that came into office uh, ballyhooing its foreign policy acumen and its ability to, you know, restore U.S. relationships with allies and so on. And, uh, of course, 
then I guess we're very skeptical of it, given the nature of this team and its past track record. But uh, that nonetheless was what was promised the American people. Uh, certainly it's been anything. But speaking of energy independence, uh, Victoria, I wanted to switch gears with you and talk a bit about Europe. Um, you have been raising an alarm about what's going on with the Biden administration's explicit encouragement of increased dependency by the Europeans on the Russians, specifically by eliminating obstacles to the completion of this so-called Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Give us an update on what the Russians are up to at the moment and the state of Europe's energy consumption and uh, reliances. Well, it's it's really turning into a a slow-motion train wreck, and there's not much we can do at this point to mitigate it because, you know, a lot of what what Europe has done is focused exclusively on natural gas as a source for electricity and then also uh, renewables such as hydro and, and wind. And by doing this, they have made themselves disproportionately uh, dependent on Russia because they increasingly decline to produce natural gas domestically. Uh, and so they, you know, that let the Russians do that yeah, through fracking or whatever it means, but it means let the Russians do the dirty work seems to be, and then we will consume that gas. Meanwhile, we'll make all these lofty pledges about renewables, but then you wind up with a situation that we faced over the summer with there being uh, a, a heat wave in Scandinavia, which reduced the hydraulic. There was not enough wind in the Baltic, which severely reduced the, the wind-generated electricity, which means now it's all natural gas. It's all controlled by the Russians. And I think Putin saw this coming a mile away and slowly started reducing exports to Europe over the course of the summer. So he basically has them over a barrel now. Uh, there's nothing they can do except, you know, supplicate to the Russians to turn the taps on and get them more natural gas. Uh, and that. Other than it, it, reopening some coal fired plants that they had shuttered out of this preoccupation with global climate change. You know, alleviation, as they see it. Both, yeah, both coal and nuclear, and that is also the sort of dirty underbelly of this situation is that they have had to reopen some coal. They're burning a ton of petroleum, and we're seeing emissions spike in Europe. And it's all the more ironic, given that they're all coming to New York this week for the United Nations General Assembly, where climate will be the top priority. And you will hear Boris Johnson, you know, be one of the top climate crusaders, the prime minister of the UK, and he will be making all sorts of grand pledges uh, about getting to net zero. And this man is going to have to spend hundreds of billions of pounds in the coming weeks to stabilize their failing domestic energy sector. And then he had to ask the French last week to come over and fire back up a coal plant. It's just disconnected from reality. So I think there is real room for people who do care about the climate and who do want the United States to lead a responsible energy future to work very closely with our partners and allies on what that looks like uh, so that we continue to develop new technologies. We're going to need them. But don't turn your back on something like civil nuclear, which is so much more efficient, clean, and safe than it was 40 years ago. And don't you know, don't put your energy security for an entire continent in the hands of Vladimir Putin. I mean, they seem like really simple things, right? They're well, self-evident, I mean, no at least. One will, no one will say them. Yeah, no one will say them because you get you get denounced and canceled as a climate. 
actually what's happening in Europe will show us there is a way to do this that is responsible, that means there's plenty of power for everyone. We don't have something like the big freeze in Texas last February. We don't have what's happening in Europe now. It can be done. Uh, Nuclear power has become something that, at least some among the the, uh, the true believers in global climate change and, you know, man's role in trying to mitigate it uh, are now championing nuclear power. And so we have this anomalous situation where the Germans have taken all of their nuclear plants down, as I understand it, um, and at the same time that they've created this uh, vehicle for just precisely the sort of squeeze play that you've talked about now and we've all been warning about would be coming with the Germans uh, lashing up with Russia on Nord Stream 2. So uh, among other people who will be talking all this up, of course, at the UN General Assembly will be Joe Biden and his remarks tomorrow. And uh, the degree to which he has reduced our energy independence that goes back to what you were talking about with the Saudis. Uh, It it does seem as though... um, whether it's out of concern about climate change or whether it's just hostility towards um, fossil fuels and, and uh, the like, we're watching the fundamental transformation of America in a way that um, was very much the antithesis of what you and President Trump were working towards. And, uh, and we're, we're paying the price, among other places, at the pump, are we not? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, our daughter is out in uh, at school in California, and she's paying over $5 a gallon for gasoline. And, you know, the extraordinary spectacle last month was the American National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, issuing a statement in which he called for OPEC to produce more, or, you know, to release more oil to mitigate gas prices. And then the president coming out last week and saying, oh, it's, it's all the price gougers. I mean, since he's now an, an energy analyst, he said, oh, the prices should be coming down, but they're not. So it means somebody's doing something underhanded. No. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and they can go on some witch hunt for, for price gougers who will never be found, but that's not going to solve their problem. And the problem is that we currently need more more energy, and we are perfectly capable of producing it. And there are ways, you know, we could reorganize our energy sector to encourage increased stability and not see this kind of, of wild price walks. But again, I'm sure we will hear from him tomorrow, you know, very lofty claims about how the United States will you know, lead the way in the charge to the renewables. And then, you know, I, I'm sure you saw Nancy Pelosi's comments in which she said, yes, you know, China is guilty of genocide against the Uyghurs and democracy suppression in Hong Kong and aggressive ambitions toward Taiwan. But all that said, and that's literally her quote, we have to work with them on climate. I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous. And so we will see. Sounds like John Kerry, doesn't well, it?
that I learned about in the Department of Energy, this is all ours and it's great. But why we should somehow make it conditional on what the Chinese want to do is is mind boggling. And so it's it's going to be quite a week for hot air being blown out of Manhattan. Uh, part of the climate change agenda that is uh, <laughs> working at cross purposes. Uh, stated one. Um, Victoria, we have to leave it at that for the moment. This is a topic to which I, I hope we can return. I, I very much view that we have to continue to use uh, responsibly, yes, but uh, fossil fuels. And it uh, remains very much to be seen whether moving inexorably in the direction of electrification is going to not simply put us more uh, at the mercy of the Chinese with uh, the lithium coming out of Afghanistan and uh, other rare earth minerals that they control and the like. Um, very much to the detriment of, well, national security as well as, of course, I think energy security. But that's a topic to which we will return with you. Thank you for your time today, my friend. Next up, we will speak with Sam Fattis. We'll talk with him about, uh, well, uranium out of Afghanistan, whether the Iranians are going to be using that for the bomb, among other things, right after this. 